Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on June 24th, 2022 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features another massive politics section. I know, I know, we were getting away from it, now we're back right into it. (laughs) We have the latest on the overturning of the landmark abortion case Roe v. Wade and what it means for the women of South Carolina. We look at the latest on the wide-ranging gun violence bill that is heading to President Joe Biden's desk a month after one of the worst school shootings in this country's history. The attempts by four state candidates to overturn election results were denied by the state Republican Party. We have the latest. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Joe Cunningham says there are too many old people in office, like his opponent, and he has a proposal to fix it. We also have reports from Victoria Hansen on the state's new controversial medical ethics law and Scott Morgan on expiring school feeding programs. And the latest, Nikki Haley speculation. And just a programming note, folks, we will be off next week apologize, but I'm on vacation. <laughs> so was toying with an idea of a special episode, but alas, I don't think it's in the cards. Also, another programming note, when we come back, we'll be giving you a pod later on July 5th because we're off on July 4th. So we'll be giving you a new podcast on July 5th, just later in the day. So look forward to that. Again, our apologies. And if you have any problems with this, please forward it to our operators who are standing by at 803-563-7169. They are there to hear from you about these problems, which we know are temporary, but very impactful. That's why we like to let you know before we do them. Of course, you can also share other thoughts, comments, and how you're feeling at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on. Again, July 4th, right around the corner. We just celebrated Flag Day. What are you doing for July 4th? Let us know. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is medium, according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For the week ending June 18th, there were 9,726 cases, a 6% drop from the week before, and there were two deaths as well. There are 240 South Carolinians hospitalized with COVID-19, 34 are in intensive care, and 7 are on ventilators. Currently, 55.4% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. After nearly 50 years of precedent, women no longer have abortion protections under the Constitution. Per a 6-3 U.S. Supreme Court ruling on June 24th in the case Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, the long-expected decision now gives states the rights to ban abortions as they see fit. Justice Samuel Alito wrote in the Dobbs decision, quote, We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. This decision was backed by Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Justices Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan in the dissent said, Whatever the exact scope of the coming laws, one result of today's decision is certain the curtailment of women's rights, and of their status as free and equal citizens. Abortions are still legal right now in South Carolina, 
but the ruling means that when the state's fetal heartbeat law goes into effect, abortions will be banned when an electrical signal representing cardiac activity is detectable by a transvaginal ultrasound, which occurs as early as six weeks. That law, passed last year by the Republican-controlled legislature and signed by Governor Henry McMaster, faced an immediate injunction by the ACLU of South Carolina and is still working through the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. However, it is expected to be struck down soon now that its underpinnings in Roe and Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992 have been uprooted by the conservative Supreme Court. At this moment, all abortions up to 20 weeks remain legal in South Carolina, but for how long, like we said, is unknown. In 2020, 5,468 abortions were performed in the state, with 57% of them happening to women aged 20 through 29, according to DHEC. Medical abortions were the most common method, accounting for 57%. Now, in the year 2020, 4,700, or 86% of all abortions in the state, occurred within the first six weeks of gestation. So once the state's heartbeat bill does take effect, thousands of women will still be able to get an abortion up until around six weeks or whenever cardiac activity can be detected. Lawmakers are expected to receive testimony over the next few months as Republicans look to make abortion access even more restrictive in the state. Governor McMaster has called for a ban on all abortions, including those involving rape and incest. McMaster outlined his feelings and future action in a statement saying, Today's Supreme Court ruling is a resounding victory for the Constitution and for those who have worked for so many years to protect the lives of the most vulnerable among us. By the end of the day, we will file motions so that the Fetal Heartbeat Act will go into effect in South Carolina and immediately begin working with members of the General Assembly to determine the best solution for protecting the lives of unborn South Carolinians. Senator Lindsey Graham said in part, Finally, all these decades of toiling in the vineyards fighting for conservative judges has paid off. I'm glad to have done my part in this cause. I also appreciate President Trump's leadership in nominating conservative justices. House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn said in part, 36 million women who reside in the 26 states who have already passed restrictive laws or are poised to will be prohibited from having an abortion, or they will be forced to travel hundreds of miles at great expense to receive safe, medically appropriate care likely resulting in increased complications and worsened health outcomes. And Mitch McConnell has stated that a nationwide ban is possible if Republicans gain control of Congress and the presidency. The criminalization of this long-held fundamental right imposes another layer of institutionalized discrimination on women, especially those with low incomes and women of color, quote. As for what, if anything, will be done to address the health outcomes of possibly hundreds of unwanted children annually, as well as the women that are forced to bear them, per the state, while there has been no publicized plan, funding discussion, or public health strategy to address that issue up to this point. While South Carolina has seen a decrease in infant mortality since 2019 from 6.9 infant deaths per 1,000 live births, the rate only moved to 6.5 per 1,000 in 2020, or 364 infant deaths within the first year of life. This is above the national average of 5.58 deaths per 1,000 live births in 2019 per the CDC. Staying with Washington for a minute, the bipartisan gun bill passed the Senate 65 to 33, with 15 Senate Republicans, including Senator Lindsey Graham, who helped broker the deal. The bill would enact the biggest changes to gun laws in nearly 30 years. The measure comes on the heels of the grisly mass shootings at a grocery store in Buffalo and an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, a month ago. Over in the House, 14 House Republicans voted with Democrats in support of the bill, including 7th Congressional District Representative Tom Rice, who was just defeated in the June 14th primary by Trump-backed candidate Russell Fry. 
Now, to summarize the bill, we look at PBS NewsHour's Lisa Desjardins, who read through the 80-page bill and tweeted out an outline of some of the main points. The soon-to-be law includes enhanced background checks for 18- to 21-year-olds, $750 million that could go to states with red flag slash crisis intervention laws, though not exclusively, because grants can also be used for mental health courts, drug courts, and veteran courts. When it comes to straw man purchases and trafficking, it will make illegally buying a gun for someone else a crime punishable up to 15 years in jail, 25 years if it's used in a felony or terrorism attack. It will also close the so-called boyfriend loophole that prevents people convicted of domestic abuse from owning a gun, the primary weapon used to kill women by men. Current law only applies to people who are married to, living with, or have a child with the victim. An abuser can regain the ability to buy a gun five years after a misdemeanor CDV conviction so long as there are no other violent misdemeanors in that time. Also in the bill, there is substantial funding for mental health, including $500 million for school-based mental health grants, $500 million for grants to mental health professionals, $80 million in grants for rapid access to mental health services via primary pediatricians, and $60 million for mental health training for pediatricians. There's also $300 million for school security training and safety efforts. Hundreds of millions of dollars for community mental health, awareness, trauma support in schools, treatment of kids and families after trauma, and money for the 988 suicide crisis line. So a lot in that massive bipartisan gun violence bill that is heading to President Joe Biden's desk for a signature. In shocking election news, the South Carolina Republican Party's state executive committee found that four primary election protests were denied after each candidate failed to present evidence that would have changed the outcome of the June 14th primary election. The four races were for governor, attorney general, and two state house representative races, House District 43 and 81. SCGOP Chairman Drew McKissick said, as required by state law, we held hearings for the primary protests where candidates could present their case and our committee members could ask questions. Ultimately, our state executive committee voted to uphold the June 14th primary results, meaning that the committee determined no candidate provided credible evidence that could have quantifiably changed the outcome of the primary. Just a note, primary runoff day is June 28th. You can only vote in the respective runoff for the primary you previously voted in. So Democrats for the Democratic runoff, Republicans the Republican runoff. Now, if you didn't vote in the primary, you can vote in either the Democrat or Republican runoff. Moving on, Joe Cunningham, the Democratic gubernatorial nominee, says too many old people are running our state and country, and it's time for a change. The message, while clearly targeted at his 75-year-old challenger, has collateral damage for the leaders in his own party. For example, President Joe Biden is 79. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is 82. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer is 83. And Majority Whip Jim Clyburn is 81. Apparently that is too old, according to Joe Cunningham, because in a video ad called Geriatric Oligarchy, Cunningham proposes a 72-year-old age limit for politicians in the state. That's the age limit the state has for judges and would require a constitutional amendment approved by voters, according to the Associated Press. Currently rolling in their graves are State Senator Hugh Leatherman, who died in office last November at 90, the late Senator Fritz Hollings, who retired at 83, and of course, Senator Strom Thurmond, who died at 100 
shortly after he left office. Next up, even with all the election news of last week, Victoria Hansen still made time, somehow, somehow she did, to provide NPR with this report about a new medical law Governor McMaster signed on June 17th that allows doctors and nurses the right to refuse to provide non-emergency care if they object to the treatment on moral or religious grounds. Remember, we had some coverage of this during session, and ironically enough, it could also extend to doctors not prescribing treatments like ivermectin, that's that dewormer medication that is not proven to cure or alleviate COVID-19, so interesting full circle we've come. Now, opponents of this bill see it more as an attack against those in minority communities, such as LGBTQ members. Here's Victoria. Amber Lynn Boyder was born to a Baptist minister. She met her wife on an online Christian dating site and adopted a daughter from a Christian agency. But the 35-year-old worries doctors will now use religion as an excuse to deny her health care. Boyder is a transgender woman. I haven't even felt comfortable going to a doctor in well over a year. That's when she began transitioning into the woman she feels she's meant to be. And doctors would not prescribe the gender-affirming hormone therapy she needed. So Boyder self-prescribed hormones she bought online and now sees an out-of-state telehealth doctor. It's care she says most of her transgender friends can't afford. The truth is it's, it's dangerous for a lot of trans people out there who don't have access to mainstream health care. Boyder fears a new law just signed by the governor will make things even worse. This is America where you should have the freedom to say no to something that you don't believe in. Republican Senator Larry Grooms championed the Medical Ethics and Diversity Act. Now law, it allows medical practitioners and healthcare institutions, including doctors, pharmacists, and insurance companies, to refuse to provide non-emergency care that goes against their religious, moral, or ethical beliefs. In addition to gender-affirming treatment, that could include family planning, end-of-life care, or writing prescriptions. Senator Groom insists the new law does not discriminate because... It is based on procedure, not on patients. But Ivy Hill, with the LGBTQ rights group Campaign for Southern Equality, says you can't separate a person from the medical procedure they need. It's absolutely targeting people. Hill says the law adds another barrier to medical care that's already scarce for LGBTQ people, especially in rural South Carolina. It's so difficult for transgender people, he'll help put together a directory of trans-friendly providers across the South. Inspired by the Green Book, black people used to find services when they faced discriminatory laws. Dr. Alex Duvall is not in the directory. He's a Christian family practitioner in Georgetown who wrote lawmakers urging them to pass the law. You know, for me, uh, anything that is considered immoral behavior, I can't condone or I can't help them participate in it. Like, he says, giving hormone therapy to transgender patients. Dr. Duvall is relieved the law protects him. Adding patients can still get the services they want, just not from him. You know, it's, it's a battle of conscience, but it doesn't mean you don't care about patients and love patients and want to do your best for them. The law states that the, quote, right of conscience is a fundamental and unalienable right. But Alan Cheney, with the ACLU of South Carolina, says discrimination is discrimination. Stating that your conscience compels your discrimination doesn't make it lawful. He expects the law to be challenged because discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity is prohibited under the Affordable Care Act. Dr. Elizabeth Mack 
the American Academy of Pediatrics spokesperson also testified against it. She says healthcare should be based not on beliefs, but science. And the evidence supports, you know, gender-affirming care, supports um, dignified end-of-life care, supports contraception. We might think that these things are controversial or what have you, but the evidence is really supportive. For some, like Amber Boyder, the care doctors can now refuse under the new law means life or death. She says not getting gender-affirming hormone therapy. I know with beyond any shadow of a doubt that that would kill me. Boyder still wants to find a doctor to see in person, not online, but she's hesitant. Being refused care legally could be too painful. Thanks, Victoria. Now let's stick with the governor for a minute. He issued 73 budget vetoes, totaling $53 million for projects he viewed primarily as pork, and also that they didn't have enough information on how that money would be spent. Some were policy vetoes and others were just budget placeholders. Of course, this is $53 million worth of vetoes out of a $14 billion budget. So, little peeny pop The governor noted in his veto message that the budget and those over the past five years represented the successful partnership with the legislature, and it's a win for the people of South Carolina. McMaster said the current year's budget includes 259 of his executive budget proposals, totaling $2.85 billion. That's up from 93 proposals from last year. His biggest accomplishment is the income tax rate reductions, something he has been pushing since taking over in early 2017. Also separate but included in the budget are billions of dollars in American Rescue Plan Act money. We've talked about this over and over again, but it's going out there now. And just a note, no South Carolina Republicans voted for it in Congress. However, we will all soon be benefiting from it because it's going to infrastructure across the state. $1 billion in state and ARPA funds will accelerate the widening of Interstate 26 to six lanes between Columbia and Charleston. Also, I-95 will go to six lanes in the low country, and additional lane widening will take place on I-85 in the upstate. There's also $1 billion for the State Rural Infrastructure Authority for new water and sewer systems in poor parts of the state, and of course, $400 million to expand broadband. Massive, critical infrastructure investments to bring the state up to modern standards in many places and position it for future growth. So again, we've had a governor who works with the legislature, more so the House and the Senate, but actually gets his priorities accomplished, which is incredibly difficult in a state where the state house has more power. But unlike his predecessors Nikki Haley and Mark Sanford, McMaster works with lawmakers. Will a future Republican governor do that? Or will they be too busy grabbing headlines... We don't, or Democrat governor. We don't know. Now, lawmakers will be back next week to take up the governor's vetoes. And we have another report from someone whose voice is not mine. That's right. One of our great South Carolina public radio reporters, Scott Morgan, has this report on how waivers for school meals are set to expire and what the ramifications are. Here's Scott. At the end of this month, 14 pandemic-era waivers that cover the cost of breakfast and lunch in American public schools are set to expire. And some South Carolina families who can't always feed their children without help don't quite know what to do now. I'm out of work right now, undergoing health issues and things, which stopped me from working. So I definitely had to rely on the school meals. Ms. Greer is a mother of four in the Lancaster County School District. 
She doesn't want to use her first name. But she's one of those people who falls into a problematic middle ground, too wealthy to qualify for programs like SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, not wealthy enough to always pay all her bills and still make sure the kids get enough to eat. I really think that the school meals were a big help to all the children and parents that's, that struggles through the pandemic and that's having like a hardship. While her paycheck is on hold, Greer is seeking out community service organizations that help fill the gap with no-cost meals. It's different things out here that we just have to get involved in. Assistance programs for food insecure families outside of schools do exist. But the subtext here is one that struggling families always have to put on their own shoulders. They have to take it upon themselves to seek out help. Which is why Greer says those free twice-a-day meals at school for the kids were such a big deal. They didn't require families do anything extra. Federal lawmakers occasionally bicker over whether to extend those USDA meal waivers, but there's been no indication so far that there's enough political will to do that, despite a still-gurgling supply chain, inflation at the grocery store, and the tickling worry of a recession just around the corner. Far from Capitol Hill, school districts in South Carolina are preparing to live with the fallout. If the USDA doesn't renew the free feeding for all for breakfast and lunch, that means that we will have to go back to counting meals and charging kids for meals. Lindsay Maycheck is the director of communications for the Rock Hill School District. How that impacts our school district is that we're serving 231,000 meals to kids every single month on average. So that means 231,000 meals are going right to kids who have said, yes, I need a free school meal. Students who already get SNAP benefits at home automatically qualify for free meals and still will. But if a family doesn't already get SNAP, Maycheck says Rock Hill parents will need to fill out a form requesting free or low-cost meals for their children, which sounds simple enough. But we know parents are busy, so that really creates a barrier for some students who may need these free meals if their parent chooses not to take the time to fill that form out or if their household income is too high for them to qualify, but we know that they're still hungry. Which is why this initiative has been so amazing for our school district, because kids can come in, they get free breakfast, free lunch, and they're able to go to school and learn. District food and nutrition directors like Joe Urban at Greenville County Schools do encourage struggling families to fill out those forms, especially because it's easier to qualify than you might think. Federal income eligibility guidelines capture the vast majority of those children in need. They're, they're pretty lenient. Something the USDA's COVID waivers have covered, however, is food when children are out of school, like they are right now. Districts around the state are participating in the USDA-financed Seamless Summer Meals program, but Seamless Summer is one of those 14 waivers set to expire at the end of this month. And even with federal meal waivers... There are foreboding cracks looming now that school's out. It's starting to hit home a lot closer right now because we're having calls with school systems and superintendents that are truly worried. Erin Rowe is the CEO of Harvest Hope Food Bank in Columbia. I had a school resource officer reach out who usually is at school kind of after hours. And the person started noticing kids waiting after school till everyone's gone, and then they were going back to the back and digging through the trash to get food to take home because they did not have any food at home. Roe is unapologetic that free school meals should stay in place, 
saying the COVID waivers have done a lot of measurable good for kids who don't have the ability to buy or get food without an adult. She's really unapologetic about the bad taste political squabbling over free school meals leaves in her mouth. I don't think this should be political fodder. I don't think it should be a choice that a child has to make in this country right now. We have to, we just have to do better. I mean, that's the bottom line. An ironic bright spot for kids in the poorest school districts, like Marion, for example, is that they don't need to worry about filling out forms or saying goodbye to pandemic-era waivers. Marion and similar districts are so poor, they automatically qualify for the Federal Community Eligibility Provision, or CEP. This covers meals at school districts not able to pay for them themselves. All the other districts are returning to pre-pandemic ways of doing meals in a much more expensive and uncertain new world. Thanks, Scott. And on the way out, former governor and U.S. United Nations ambassador Nikki Haley is one step closer to announcing she's going to run for president. Okay, that was pretty loaded, but it's not inaccurate. (laughs) Haley was on the Faulkner Focus on Fox News, that's a fun way to say it, Wednesday, and said she'd reveal her decision on a potential bid for president early next year, folks. This is a change from her previously saying she wouldn't run if former President Donald Trump runs again. She said in part, I don't have to make a decision until the first part of next year. If there's a place for me, I've never lost a race. I'm not going to lose now. That's what Haley told Faulkner. I'll put 1,000% into it and I'll finish it. If there's not a place for me, I will fight for this country until my last breath. That's what she said. Fox News reports that the former ambassador is scheduled to headline the Iowa GOP's regional reception in Dubuque hmm, on June 29th. Dubuque is beautiful this time of year, I will say. And then the following day, she'll headline Republican Representative Randy Fenstra's annual family picnic fundraiser in Sioux Center. Oh, also beautiful this time of year, which is located in the heavily conservative northwest corner of the state. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. We told you at the top, July 4th is coming up. Patriotism, <laughs> red, white, and blue. I that hope flag should still be flying. Yeah, the huh? flag should still be flying. <laughs> it should still you be should, up there. You should be purchasing your old Navy flag tees. <laughs> I got to go do it. So, you know, you're you know, you're absolved right hey, now. He doesn't even want to do it. He just got to go do I, it. It's a requirement. Yeah, it's he's got to go do it. He's got an inspection later. The flag tee inspector is coming. So <laughs> he's really got to. Patriot gotta, police. He's got to get that on. Yeah. But I will I'm just going to ask you guys to give us a call. We love hearing from you. 803-563-7169. We do have a message, but also we have a very special guest. Shh, Gavin. Not, but, 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 that's just I'm a just tease. just giving a tease, as that's we say tease. in the biz. That's, 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 that's industry lingo right there. So, so I, if you don't tuned. understand it, that's industry lingo. It's not okay? just going to be me and AT ra- riffing for a little bit, okay? okay. Riff raffing. Riff, yes. Uh, riff raff is my favorite rapper. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Gavin, ask me the dang old question. <laughs> Well, we I know we have a call. Yeah, well, ask play, anyway. Can you play? play? Why don't you go ahead and ask anyway? Do we have a call, AT? Oh, we do. Oh, you know we do. Super duper. I'm so glad you asked. This is <laughs> this is the only way I could feel anything is if you ask me this question. So what happens when I go off script? I still have to follow the script. Yes. Anyway, Gavin, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. On my count, three, two, one, go. Oh, it's shut down. Mm, oh, this is bad. Uh, we're going to have to redo this whole thing. Anyway, Shut. here we go. Here we go. I'm just going to play it, okay? I'm going to override you, okay? Well, good morning. My name is Warren. I just listened to your show. I love it. 
I think you all guys are the best stuff on the air. My question was, what happened to the Florida man segment? That was one of my favorite ones. So anyway, keep up the good work. Have a great day. Well, thanks for the call, Warren. We really appreciate it. And thank you for that throwback memory to the Mm. Florida man days when we had a whole different whole different setup for the show. It was a show. completely different Pre-COVID show. Pre-COVID days was a different show. I like to think that we've evolved for the better. Uh, sadly, that does not include Florida Man. But, you know, Warren, it's always one Google search away from just the latest <laughs> in search Google, humanity. You just Google Florida Man and then oh, boom right there. That's what it, we did. It never I ends. Mean, That's we, all we would do, yeah. We would get to the Florida Man and be like, ooh, Gavin, do you have anything? No. AT, do you have anything? No. Okay, let's Google this real quick. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, baby. I, I do get questions about why don't we do Florida Man anymore? Why isn't Russ McKinney, the Russ McKinney mm-hmm. on anymore? And those we can't are, afford him. You should see this guy's rider. It's out of control. It's either we charge money for the voicemail or we pay <laughs> Russ. Anyway, <laughs> it's it, hard. in the spirit of bringing back uh, old segments here, while we can't bring back Russ, we can't bring back Florida Man, we, we can bring back an illustrious guest that Gavin teased <laughs> earlier. I mean, this was high dollar, too. This one cost oh, us yeah. a lot. This is a, a pretty lot. penny. We but uh, uh, we have we Gavin. summoned. Yeah, go ahead. You said. We summoned Meg Kennard with oh, the Associated Mike. Price. Hello. We, we, we brought her back. It was basically a seance. Hello, Here Meg. Hi there. How this are you? This is fun because I'm in the studio, AT's in the booth, and Meg is in, right there next to him. So <laughs> I can't see Meg, but I can hear her. <laughs> Gavin can see Half of my face through a bar and cannot see any of Meg. And this is this is just how pros do it. If he if it's like the dating game. Yes. Uh, well, she, she has long hair. What would you Perfect. do on a date with me? <laughs> wow. What, cool. what a country. <laughs> what a country. Oh yes, sister. Welcome aboard. Hi, it's good to be here. Oh great. It's so great to have you here, Meg. Yeah. Do you have any have any grievances you need to air? <laughs> wow. Pulls out a whole book. I've been waiting for this yeah, question. I'm so glad that you as. Meg oh. is fresh from the beach, Folly Beach. Good mm. for you. You know what? Good for you. Yeah, you know? I went on the beach exactly twice, oh. um, both times in the evenings for a walk. For oh. safety. Well, yeah. we had we had this question, Meg. So we we uh, a caller called in. She asked, uh, "How would you rank it, beach or oh, river? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you?" And Gavin threw in pool. So yeah. what's your what's the Meg okay. Power ranking? The the Meg Power Index. The Am MPI. I, I have a question. Yeah. Am I getting in the water? This is up to you. This is up to you. I'm a get inner, you Mm -hmm. know? So, I mean, you do it however you want. You, 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 you make your list, Meg. Yeah, I think I probably would err on the side of pool Mm -hmm. as my number Mm -hmm. one, just because sometimes I don't always get in the water and Mm -hmm. I like to be close to air conditioning. And that's why snacks. That's why. <laughs> yes. Um, I really like being at the beach, but I hate sand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yes. tough. Yeah. It, so being on the sand is really the not eternal my dilemma. Yes. And river is is last. River is mm-hmm. last. Yeah. I put lake at the very bottom too. We didn't talk about lake. Lake. Ooh, I don't yeah. trust the lake bacteria. <laughs> now, if we're you always a, hear about the brain eating amoebas in the lake. Yes. If we're getting in a boat, then yeah, I boat, would, boat, I would definitely <laughs> boat, put, boat, lake yeah. up there, but. You know, just uh, I'm a pool person, I think. I, yeah. A pool is number pool two wins. for me. I really do like beach a lot. Oh, I really surprising. like the beach. I like to get in. In the Jersey Shore, I like when you get in there and you're a little deep and you feel the crabs pinching your toes beep, 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 just a little bit. That sounds really nice, AT. <laughs> but the water's always cold in New Jersey. It's very cold all the time. And uh, you're just a few steps away from the dirty, dirty boardwalk. Yes. That's, that's the the just boardwalk going to Seaside. Seaside I, Heights yeah, is the greatest place that's, uh, that's in oh America. Oh my God. Yeah. Ugh. Yes. Ocean Man. City, Rehoboth Beach, 
Good I, right there. I was just in Rehoboth. It's lovely. See? Those are fun ones. I don't, yeah. yeah, that's where we grew up. That's where we would go. We wouldn't do... the the dirt. You don't have to pay to go on the beach there, my Those friend. boardwalks don't hold a candle oh, well, to the Jersey good, boardwalk. But I mean, it's no Jersey. I don't want to... Yeah. I mean... There's no creatures at Seaside, okay? <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. You gotta be a creature. But yeah, I'm going to Outer Banks this weekend. OBX. Week. OBX, bro. Okay, I got, I got something to tell you guys. <laughs> this is really funny. So they have the, the stickers that say OBX mm-hmm. all the time. Time, right? Of course. And so down the shore in Jersey, and I say down the shore, I just mean the beaches in New Jersey. <laughs> they they didn't name half these sometimes. So mm-hmm. it would just be Sand. Ocean Beach 1, Ocean Beach 2. And this was like 15 years ago. Caitlin and I were driving around. She goes, what's Ocean Beach 10? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, that. what is Ocean Beach 10? I go, Caitlin, that says OBX. <laughs> oh, yeah. Banks. I mean, she's just a highly OB-10. educated woman. Yeah. yeah. She, was, she was just going classic on you. Well, I mean, until they just like New York with a public school, like 245 or whatever. PS2, yeah, 218. Yeah. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll be out there. And it's, it's nice. It's The water will be somewhat here and there, warm, cold. But that's why I love South Carolina beaches, because that water is it's always warm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I will pleasant. say, as a tried and true New Jerseyan, the beach here is better than in New Jersey. It You're is. a South Carolinian now. Uh, I don't think so. I don't, it's close. I mean, I had a pickup truck. Shoot. <laughs> How many years in both states? I, I'm, I'm 18. I was 18 years born and raised in Maryland, but I'm now mm-hmm. 36 outside. Now, that's also a combination of other states, not just South Carolina. Yeah. But I, I don't was, have native status anymore in Maryland. I don't. I, mean, I, I think haven't. I was I was 26 in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and then now I'm eight years here. So I mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I I always True. Okay, I always yeah. think You're, I'm not okay. quite there. Okay, so then you you were there longer than I'm. Okay, yeah. How long have you got here, Meg? I have definitely spent more time outside of my native Tennessee mm-hmm. than I lived there. But next year mm. will mark the point where I spent just as much time living in South Carolina as I did in Tennessee. So you, <gasps> the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So guys, <laughs> I think you guys are stuck with me now. Yeah, oh, I, that, I'll take that, it. Yeah, that, this was a surprise that you were going to be here today, Meg. And it, I mean, it cheered up my day. My AC broke at my oh. house, and so I need I needed this lift. I'm so glad I can be here. <laughs> I had for you. I had to sleep in the basement last night really rough basement boy basement boy i'm a big i'm a big basement guy what can i say i like being subterranean <laughs> going from your king to a queen there's no space oh, here God. i thought what are you talking about i'm i'm, I'm used to a king size bed can you relate Mike? i certainly can. yeah and so absolutely i i couldn't sleep because every time i turned over i thought i was just gonna elbow Caitlin in the face or something. I was so scared. Yep, absolutely. And you know, we have also, um, we recently got two new kittens in Mm -hmm. our house. I saw this. I saw this. We are those people now who have not just one or two pets, but all four pets are now (laughs) in our room at night sometimes. And so it's not only elbowing each other, it's like, is there an animal that I'm about to kick off the bed? Yeah. Is there there a hairball coming at me? It is an adventure all the way around. You gotta upgrade. You gotta upgrade to California I have had a California King before, and it was it was great. But I feel like rooms are not designed for those. <laughs> Absolutely, not. Beds, Absolutely not. Because it never seemed to fit anywhere that I live. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, are you dealing with a lot of hairballs now? We're we're gonna cat person, cat to cat. Oh yeah, my God. thankfully not. Um, our kittens are still kind of learning the whole, you know, mm-hmm. grooming themselves thing. <laughs> but I have no doubt that uh, that we will come into that. And their names, by the way, are Willie and Loretta. Yes. And yes, they are named for the, uh, the the first unofficial couple, so to speak, of, of classical country music. Absolutely. Hell yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. brother. Yeah, give me the, a hell there yeah. There you go. <laughs> Can we get a hell yeah? Tire <laughs> screech. We get the tire screech sound effects. <laughs> I, could, I could drop a guitar stab in here. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Anyway, Meg, thank you for being yes, here. Yes. I want a wonderful surprise. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember that we will be off next week, yes. and it's going to be late on Tuesday, that next pod on July 5th. Promise okay? we'll be back. We'll be back. We promise we will. We'll promise. Say goodbye to him, Gavin. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening and calling in like Warren did. We love to hear from you guys. Do that. Give us a call, 803-563-7169. We talked about so much in the wind down. We would love to hear from you. Weigh in. Let us know. Again, we'd love to hear from you. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. If you don't want to call us, that's okay. We understand. You can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Aldi. 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 So is that Aldi?